know about you, but um, there are some things that I come across from time to time that just strike me as being just very funny, uh, almost self-evident. You would think that on certain things that uh, something is so obvious that it does not need to be pointed out, and yet if you were to read some warning labels, you would wonder and, and be surprised, I think, at just how seemingly dumb people sometimes can be. For example, a warning label on a cup of coffee. Caution, contents are hot. Really? On a hairdryer, do not use in the shower. And, and never use while sleeping. You know, somebody had to try it. In, on the package of a, of a garden hose, do not spray water into an electrical outlet. Severe electrical shock could result. Really? On a lawnmower, do not place hands or feet under a mower when engine is running. On a disposable razor, this is one of my favorites, do not use this product during an earthquake. <laughs> Legitimate warning. On, on a portable stroller, remove infant before folding for storage. <laughs> you think? On a child-sized Superman costume, wearing this garment does not enable you to fly. <laughs> On an infant's bathtub, do not throw baby out with bathwater. Pretty good. Uh, armor all wipes, not to be used for personal cleansing. Just shine things up. That's what I need. I, and I don't know. And then finally, my favorite, on sleeping pills, may cause drowsiness. Uh, you know, you've probably taken one too many sleeping pills if you need that warning. But, you know, the truth is that, that we see these labels and you just think, did somebody really need to warn me not to use a hairdryer in the shower or while I'm asleep? And how would that even be possible? I have no idea. You know, or, or not to, to fold up your baby in the stroller. Now I realize that in a moment of losing your mind, you may be tempted to do that. But at the same time, you know, and just put the kid in the closet for a while. Not that we do that at our house, okay? Don't call Child Protective Services on us. But, but you, you would think that we wouldn't need warnings like that. I, one of the warnings that, that we probably would like is if life itself came with a, with a warning label. Of all the things that you could potentially encounter, and if you were writing a warning label or several about life, I'm sure that you would have a list of things. Warning, during the teenage years, you may lose your mind and think you're smarter than everyone else. Now, none of us ever went through that. We were all born, of course, grown up, and we never experienced those things. Warning, you know, having small children means you don't sleep. You know, I mean, something along those lines. Certainly, we know that, that life would be great if it came with a warning label. And, and really, in actuality, life does come with a warning label. And you don't have to turn there, but I'd like to read you a scripture as we begin this morning. In John chapter 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his imminent departure. He will be crucified. He will be raised again, but he will then leave as well. And he's preparing them for what's going to happen. They have, of course, enjoyed life with him for three years or more. Life that was not easy by any means, but life with Jesus, the Savior himself. And so he's preparing them for his departure. And, and he says this, he, he's, he's been giving them some words of, of encouragement, words of wisdom, words of, of instruction. And he comes to the end of John chapter 16, and he says this right before he prays for them in John 17. He says, I have told you these things, all these, all these instructions, all these cautions, whatever 
so that in me you may have peace. And if he stopped there, we'd think, man, that's good stuff. You know what? In the Lord we'll have peace. I've told you all this stuff. Here I am to encourage you and to instruct you. You're, in me you'll have peace. And don't we all want peace in our life? You know, we, we all want peace in our families, in our world, and so on. And, but he goes on. You will have suffering in this world. And if he stopped there, we'd all be depressed. Boy, if he stopped with, in me you'll have peace, we just, oh, all right, there's the pep talk from the coach right before he leaves, you know. And then he says, you'll, you'll have suffering. Some of your versions may say, in this world you will have trouble. And it really does mean trouble with a capital T, trouble. Life will not always be pleasant. It will be painful. Jesus says, you're going to have suffering. And if he stopped there, of course, we would all be depressed. But thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He says, be courageous. Now, if he stopped there, we'd say, well, okay, thanks. I'll have peace, but I'll have suffering. So, hey, just hang in there and see if you can make it. But he goes on. He says, I have conquered the world. I have overcome the world, he says. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have trouble with a capital T. You're going to have things happen to you that you never could have predicted, that you wish you had known about up front, and you'll never truly be prepared for. He says, you're going to experience that in this world. And everybody in here could say a ginormous, in all capital letters, amen to that. <laughs> but he says, be courageous. Because I have conquered the world. What hope there is in that little statement. Not be courageous, just pick yourself up and try harder next time. Or the next time life knocks you down, just, just get your wits about you and just kind of trudge forward. He says, be courageous because I have conquered the world. Now, I'm not preaching on John 16.33 this morning, but I really thought that it serves as both a warning and a great encouragement to us that life is not always going to be easy. And that's something you say, well, thanks a lot, Pastor. I already knew that. You're right. The truth is, is this, and I think it's where we need to start. If we don't start with the truth, obviously we have nothing to stand on. The truth is very simply this. Life is sometimes unfair and difficult. Life is sometimes unfair and difficult. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for some of us, it is a good reminder because some of us have entered this stage of life, whatever stage you find yourself in, whether you are a teenager, whether you are a young adult, whether you're newly married, whether you, you are a, a parent of young children, whether your children are teenagers, whether you're unmarried, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, whether you're old, young, or somewhere in between, we enter, I think, each stage of life thinking that, you know what, at some point, it's not going to be so difficult. It, it's, we're going to turn the corner at some point. Oh, I just know it. And, and this too shall pass, we tell ourselves. And what do we pass it on to? Something else, that this too shall pass. And we just keep telling ourselves that over and over, naively thinking in some cases that life at some point won't be unfair. And life at some point won't be difficult. But the truth is that life is sometimes, and sometimes it's most of the time, unfair and difficult. If I were to ask you to 
Come and, and tell your story one by one. Each of us would have our hearts ripped out by hearing over and over and over how unfair and how difficult life has been for each person in here. You may have pain that no one else has experienced, but I guarantee you the next person would have also pain that no one else has really experienced. Life is unfair sometimes. Life is difficult. It, um, it's going to throw things at you that you're not quite prepared for. And unfortunately, many times we, we stop there and we just say, well, I guess that's just the way that it's going to be. I guess there's nothing really that I can do about it. I guess I'm just sort of, fate has dealt me this hand and that's just it. In those times, we really need a guide. We really need a help. We need some truth that we can hang on to. In the moments when life is unfair and life is difficult, which seem sometimes to outnumber the times when it's not, we need a guide. We need something to help us. And I'm thankful that the Scripture, through the lives of some great people, show us both by direct command and instruction and also by implication as we study these lives how to handle those types of situations. I'm thankful that the Bible is not full of stories of people that weren't human. I'm thankful that the Bible is not full of stories of, of people who, who never made a mistake and never had anything go wrong in their lives. You know, if that were the case, we'd have no reason to read the Bible because it wouldn't be about us. It'd be about somebody, but it wouldn't be about humans. And all the way back from Genesis all the way through Revelation and since then, we know that, that we are living in a very human, a very fallible world. And yet God has told us how to make it. He's shown us in His Word through great lives how we are to live in response to the unfair and difficult circumstances we encounter. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. And this is where we'll camp out this morning and look at the life of a man named Joseph. As we continue our series called 11 for 11, we're looking at 11 great lives the first part of this year, and what we can learn from them, how God worked through them, and since God never changes, then by implication, what God wants to do in and through us as well. Now, Joseph, of course, if you have read any part of Genesis, you know he dominates the latter half of Genesis, chapters 37 to 50. Joseph is given prominence. He is the, the main character in these chapters uh, from this point forward. Up until this point, there have been some other patriarchs that we've See in Genesis, but chapter 37 turns the page and focuses on this one man, a man named Joseph. Now look with me in chapter 37, look in, in verse 2. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. So here we have a very young man, 17 years old, and his story is just unfolding. Now look at verse 3. Now Israel, that's, that's Jacob, loved Joseph, this is his son, more than his other sons, because Joseph was born to him in his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Now, a couple of things here that I, that I want to, to make sure we understand. Uh, Joseph is the favorite son. If you have multiple children in your family, if you've got maybe a, a few brothers and sisters, hopefully not, but in some cases, there's a favorite child. Maybe even if it's just two. Certainly if it's one, you know you're the favorite, okay? You keep naively believing that you're the favorite, whatever, you're the only child, you know, whatever, okay. But 
you know as well as I do that in, that in many cases in some families, there's a favorite child. Now, that, that inherently causes some issues. Now, it's not just because of the attitude or something like that of the parents, but Jacob here shows us that playing favorites is, is a dangerous game in families uh, because it leads to some other things. Now, now I have to, to be honest with you. When it says the, the robe of many colors, you know, the, the, the multicolored coat, the coat of many colors, literally, literally, it is talking about a long sleeve robe. And, and a robe with, 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 a, with a long uh, hem at the bottom. It, it's going to be a, a full-length robe. Was it multicolored? Maybe. I don't really know. Uh, most translations will translate it that way because I don't think we have a real good way of explaining this. But let me tell you, here's the issue that Jacob created by giving his son this particular coat. What happened in those days was the tunic that you typically wore on the outer part of your clothing was short-sleeved so that it wouldn't get caught up in what you're doing with your work so that you can maneuver easily. You have some outer garment, but you also had it short-sleeved, and it was off short at the bottom so that you could move and work and so on. Anyone who was given a long-sleeved robe was sort of the person who was going to be in charge because they weren't going to be doing the manual labor that required the short sleeves, if you follow me. So when Joseph, the youngest of all of his brothers, receives this long-sleeved coat from his dad, it's essentially saying to all of his brothers... Here's the one who's in charge. He's not going to have to do any of the work. He's 17 years old, and I'm putting him over all of you all. Now, I don't know how old all the other brothers were. But I do know that in that society, it was not typical practice for the younger to be in charge of the older. And so this is a big deal. When Jacob does this and gives his coat to Joseph, here he creates this incredible situation. And that's the setting that we pick up the story of Joseph in. Because you see in verse 4, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. They couldn't even say a nice word. You got any family members like that? They just get together and they argue the whole time? And they're not arguing because they're arguing over basketball or football. They just don't like each other. They just plain don't like each other. There you have it. Verse 4. Verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream. Now, I'm not going to read you all the details of the dream, but let me tell you this. He has two dreams. In one, everybody's bowing down to him, his brothers and so on. In the other, same thing happens. Everybody's bowing down to him. Now, here you have a guy who's given a short sleeve robe, by, or a long sleeve robe, rather, by his dad, so he doesn't have to work. He's in charge of everybody else. And then he has these dreams that everybody's bowing down to him. Now, if there's any misstep that maybe Joseph took, and we can't say for sure that it was a misstep, he, he then tells all of his brothers, here's what's going to happen. Let me tell you what God has told me. One of these days, you're all going to bow down to me. Now, it says in verse 8, are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream, as we just said in verse 11. It says, his brothers were jealous of him. He was hated. He really didn't do anything wrong. He just had a dream. He just mentioned to his brothers, his family, what had happened. He was just just happened to be his father's favorite son. Did, did he do anything wrong in that situation? No. Verse 12. His brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. So he sends Joseph to them and so on. In verse 18. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Keep in mind, this is a group of his brothers. 
They are related. These are not just random people who run against each other. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben said, also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down and ate a meal. I mean, how callous are these guys? They looked up and there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, resin, going down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. His brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Understand that 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 price, 20 pieces of silver, was the typical price for a handicapped slave in those days. That's how much they thought of their brother. They sold him to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes and went back to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a young goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, We found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe, he said. A vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him. Isn't that ironic? (laughs) But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So what happens to Joseph? We're talking about life is sometimes unfair and life is sometimes difficult. Well, what happens to Joseph? First of all, he's misunderstood. His family doesn't understand him. By no fault of his own, they don't like him. He's hated, really for no cause. He's envied. They just don't like what he gets that they don't get. You been there? He's then attacked, physically in his case, and certainly for us in other cases, maybe not physically, but we are also sometimes attacked. He's treated as less than human. To be put on the slave trading block, imagine what that must have been like. I'm not even sure we can get our minds to understand what that is all about. To be completely stripped and to be be looked at as just a piece of property, a piece of meat to do a job. He's sold. His freedom is gone. He's abandoned. He's discarded by the people closest to him. Then he's sold again. (laughs) He's humiliated, obviously, in the process. He didn't deserve any of this. He's separated from his family as a 17-year-old young man. Probably confused. Life as he thought it was going to be is now completely different. His dreams that he had when he was a boy given to him by God are seemingly not going to come true. And that's just in chapter 37. That's just in one chapter. All the things that happened to him that are unfair, that are difficult, that's all by the age of 17. And all done to him by people who should have never, ever even thought about doing those things to him. You ever been there? You ever had all that happen in one chapter of life? 
You ever been attacked like that? You ever, you ever faced misunderstanding and, and un, undue hatred? People just don't like you, and you can't even figure out why it is. And you seemingly have done nothing to them that would cause them to respond to you that way. And then they treat you as less than human. Maybe you've had a boss or a coworker or somebody who's just treated you as if you were a dog. Maybe you were abandoned over and over. Maybe early in your childhood, one of your parents took off. Maybe your, your, your family split up, or, or maybe you've faced in recent years divorce, or whatever it may be, and you've just felt abandoned by the people closest to you. Maybe as a result of that, now you're confused. Maybe the life that you thought you were going to have now seems impossible. Here Joseph had that happen. Completely unfair. And absolutely overwhelming and disappointing. Then look at chapter 39. In chapter 39, it begins with this. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, we just referenced him, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of, the, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his field. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Things are looking up. Joseph faced some unfair circumstances. His family treated him uh, awful. He, he, he faced very difficult, very unfair things. And yet here he is. Now he's, he's seeing things look up just a little bit. New, he's got a new master. He's got a new position. He's got some new responsibility. Things seem to be going in the right direction for him. Then we get to the next verse. The end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And it's almost uh, seemingly in there, as a result, verse 7, After some time, his master, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. Verse 8, But he refused. And then relentlessly, over and over and over, she pursues him. Over every single day, it says, here's temptation in his face. Wait a minute, God, what's going on here? I'm doing the best that I can. God, can't you keep this stuff off my back? Lord, what in the world is the deal? I didn't do anything. I just happened to be. It just says he was well-built and handsome. He just, there he is. What's he going to do? It says he resisted. Then she comes after him again. He resists over and over. Finally, if you know the end of the story, one day she traps him. And in an attempt to get away, he runs from her. She holds on to his outer garment and accuses him of murder. He's then thrown into prison, finding himself now back in a similar situation that he was in chapter 37. So chapter 39, he faces incredible and relentless temptation. You ever felt like that in your life? Man, things are going well, and all of a sudden, here comes a temptation to do whatever it is. God, how am I supposed to deal with this? And it's over and over and always in your face, and, and seemingly no one would know if you gave in to this particular pressure and temptation, and he faced that. And then as a result of his doing what's right, he's falsely accused of a, of a really, really serious crime, and then he's put in prison, punished for what he didn't do, and punished, it seems, for doing what's right. 
ever experienced that? You ever been the person in the workplace or in your family that said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it that way because it's wrong, it's unethical, and it's immoral. I refuse. And as a result, you're shown the bill. As a result, you don't make as much money. As a result, you're ostracized from everybody around there. I don't know what your situation might have been, but I'm sure that many of us can relate to that. You just did what you were supposed to do, and you're seemingly punished for it. Joseph, in chapter 39, did everything he was supposed to do. Everything. He did it right. And life was still unfair. And life was still difficult. And then you see in chapter 40, after this, he's in prison. The, king's cut, the, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the prison where Joseph was confined. So here he has an encounter with two of the officials of Pharaoh. They each have a dream while they're in prison. Joseph, on the authority and power of the Lord, interprets the dream for them, tells them what it means, and says, hey, look, by the way, if you don't mind, since I've helped you in this particular situation, when you get out of here and you're back in Pharaoh's court, would you mind to mention to him that there's a guy here didn't do anything to deserve where he is and would really like to get out of prison? Just, if you think about it, next time you're talking to Pharaoh, you know, just mention it. Verse 23 of chapter 40. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph served other people while he was in prison in spite of his pain, in spite of his wrongful imprisonment and the awful conditions in which he found himself. He did right by them, and all he requested of them was, look, if you just please just mention here's a guy who doesn't deserve it, who's in prison, who's helped you, just get me out of prison. I'm not looking for money. I just want to get out of jail free card. I just want to get out. And yet he's forgotten. He's disregarded. You can almost imagine the king's cupbearer saying, yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate you helping me but treating him as if he really doesn't matter. He's just one of the little people. He's not a higher up, according to Pharaoh and the Egyptian court. He's just a, a guy in prison who served a purpose for a time. But here he is serving others, and he has nothing to show for it. And then chapter 41. Two years later. Those words right there says it all about, about Joseph's time there in prison after he interpreted his dreams. Two years. You wonder, did he ever feel like giving up? Did he ever just sit in that prison cell with those unsanitary conditions and the lack of food and no soft place to lay his head and folks who treated him harshly and treated him as if he weren't human? You just wonder, did he ever feel like giving up? Did he ever in his, in his weak moments say, God, you know what, if this is going to be the way that it is, you can have it. I don't want any part of it. Did you ever, do you ever think that maybe in his, in his time when he's, when he's just struggling emotionally, that he, that he faced a bout of depression at some point in that dark set, that he went to some really low points? The scripture doesn't record either way, but we know he's human. And I would imagine that at some point he faced many of the same, if not all of the same emotions and experiences that you and I would have. Joseph was a man who faced unfair circumstances, difficult things, and none of it because of anything he did. You may be a person who's here this morning, 
and you are in the midst of a very unfair and difficult circumstance, and you didn't create it. Somebody else did. Life just happened, and you didn't bring it on yourself. And you think, what in the world is going on? Why in the world would this happen? I didn't deserve this. Lord, you you know my heart. I'm not perfect, but good grief. I, I didn't do anything to bring this on. Certainly we've all been there. Some of us are there this morning. What do you do when that happens? What do you do when you look at the story of Joseph and you say, you know what, that that could be me. Just write me into the story, change the names to protect the innocent, and there I am. What do you do? I think by looking at Joseph, we'll find out what we can do. What he didn't do, obviously, in any of this was throw a pity party. Did he probably face it honestly with human emotion? Yes, but there's nowhere recorded where Joseph just throws a pity party, and woe is me, and all is lost, and so on. He didn't get bitter and angry. We see that at the very end of the story toward chapter 50. He didn't allow those things to take root, though he had a right, so to speak, to get angry. He had a right to take up for himself, but he didn't get bitter. He didn't go after rewards or, or vindication or revenge. He didn't try to prove he was right to everybody who would listen to his story. <laughs> You've been there? You ever, you ever just thought, if I could just tell my story to enough people, it'd all be on my side, and everybody would think I'm right, and then all, all things would be, would be well. He didn't do any of that. But what he did is very profound, very simple, but very profound, and it's what we must do as well. The first thing he did was he retained his integrity. And we must, at the same time, just like him, we must retain our integrity. How do you handle it when life is unfair? How do you handle when life is difficult? You do what Joseph did. You retain your integrity. In chapter 39, he's, he's, he's wrongfully uh, sold into slavery, but what he becomes is the best and most trustworthy slave that his master had. Unheard of for a slave to rise to this sort of prominence, particularly in somewhere that's a foreign land, a foreign slave. Here he is. He becomes the best and most trustworthy slave that his master had. He remained faithful and honest. When he's, when he's caught in that situation with Potiphar's wife, he remains honest and faithful to God and to his master. What did the verse say? His master didn't worry about anything except what he ate. <laughs> Joseph was so trustworthy, so faithful. He ran from temptation and sin in the midst of that. Even though no one would know, he refused to give in to sin. He realized that that in those moments of weakness, when life throws those things at you, that Satan is right there as well to tempt you to get off the right path, to do something so almost in spite, to, to spite God. You've done this to me. Guess what, God? I'm going to throw this back in your face. I'm going to fall into this sin because I want to and I deserve it. You felt that way? Joseph, maybe in his own mind, entertained those thoughts for just a brief moment when they came into his mind and immediately squashed them by refusing to sin, even though no one would find out. He's falsely accused, thrown into prison, and what does he do then? He later then just becomes the best and most trustworthy prisoner that his warden had. He rises to prominence in Potiphar's house, rises to prominence in the prison, because he just kept his integrity. In chapter 40, he serves others humbly. What does he say to the, to the chief cupbearer? Look, I, I've done nothing to deserve this, would you just please mention it? There's not a hint of pride in there. Would you just let the Pharaoh know 
There's a guy in here that needs some help. He served others humbly. Chapter 41, he never gave up. He's, he's eventually called to go in front of Pharaoh, who had a dream. Finally, the cupbearer re- remembers, hey, there was a guy in prison. Why don't you bring him in? But even during that time, Joseph only does what he can control. It's interesting. When he's called to Pharaoh, he, he just does what he can control. Can he control Pharaoh's response? No, but you know what he does? He shaves. He cleans himself up. He goes before Pharaoh not looking like a prisoner, not looking as if life has dealt him a lot of unfair and difficult circumstances, but he makes himself as presentable as possible and goes and stands before the Pharaoh. He just did all he could. He just focused only on what he could control. He had no idea what would become of his encounter with Pharaoh. And then when Pharaoh responds favorably to Joseph because Joseph interprets the dream and tells him, here's what you need to do, Joseph, even in that moment, refused to take advantage of the situation. The dream that Pharaoh had indicated that there would be some years of famine that that were preceded by some some years of great gain for Egypt. Joseph said, here's what you need to do. You need to find a guy who can organize all this for you, and during the years of prosperity, you need to store up as much as you can so that during the years of famine, you've got enough. He says, you need to find a guy who can do that. Pharaoh says, you know what? You're absolutely right. I wonder where we can find somebody like that. Now listen, if I'm Joseph, shaved, here I am. I'm the guy that was in prison. Remember, I've now now helped your servants. Now I'm helping you. you I'd be happy. Doesn't do any of that. When Pharaoh says, where is such a man? Joseph is silent. Say what? And you know what happens next? Pharaoh looks at him and says, "You know what? If you, you seem to be the right kind of guy for the job." And I just wonder if Pharaoh saw in him some character and integrity and humility that he knew here's a guy that in times of prosperity would do what's right, and in times of famine would do what's right. He never took advantage of the situation. Never tried to work things out so that he would be vindicated. He just maintained his integrity even in the midst of unfair and difficult circumstances. Joseph took the Lord with him to every situation, every task, even places that he should have never had to go in the first place, should have never been sold into slavery, should have never faced that kind of rejection, should have never been thrown into prison. But the Lord just went with him wherever he went, and he said, I'm going to do this as if I'm doing it unto the Lord. And as a result, he avoided bitterness, He avoided that vengeful spirit. He helped others in spite of his pain. Now, I could leave you with that and say, go and do likewise. Retain your integrity in the midst of difficult situations and circumstances. But if you don't get the last part of what we're going to talk about very briefly as we close, you'll never be able to do the first part. Joseph was able to retain his integrity by remembering God's presence. If you and I, are going to handle very unfair and difficult circumstances. Yes, we need to retain our integrity. But we do that only by remembering God's presence. Not by trying harder. Not by saying, I can handle this. This isn't going to knock me down. You watch. No, no. By remembering God's presence. In chapter 37, those dreams that Joseph had, came from the Lord. 
the hint of God's presence. His protection from his brothers. What did they want to do to him first? Kill him. What happened instead? He was sold. God protected him. And then at the close of chapter 37, the word meanwhile, just, oh, by the way, it just so happened that it came to pass. Guess who was the meanwhile? God. Chapter 39, the Lord, the scripture says, the Lord was with Joseph. Caused him to succeed. His success came from the Lord in everything he did. In chapter 39 also, when he encounters this temptation, he says, I can't sin against God. He remembered God's presence. Even though he's thrown into prison, verse 21 of chapter 39 says, The Lord was with Joseph and he gave him favor. Chapter 40, he gave the Lord credit for interpreting the dream. Chapter 41, the Lord will enable me to give Pharaoh an answer. Joseph's speech is full of talk about God. He was always aware of God's presence, both what he could see overtly from the circumstances and what he just knew to be true because God had never let him down. Somewhere along the way, he figured out, Joseph figured out that God was up to something. That God was up to something even in the midst of his unfair and difficult circumstances. And I'm sure that he began to trust God a little more with each step. A little more with each episode in life that he saw God's presence. And he felt God's hand on him even in the midst of all that junk. He learned and he believed that he was never truly abandoned. Because God was with him. And he was able to endure that refining fire because the Lord was with him. I heard a quote this past week and by one of my favorite preachers, a guy named Chuck Swindoll. And he was quoting a mentor of his, and he said this. He said, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man or impossible woman and he crushes it. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person What encouraging news from your pastor this morning. (laughs) The truth is, though, life is full of crushing. It's full of it. In every stage of life, there there are elements of being crushed. We learn from the story of Joseph that through the crushing, through the unfair, through the difficult, God is working both in us and through us to develop who He wants us to be And it could be that those unfair and difficult circumstances that you find yourself in this morning are exactly where God wants you to be. It could be that that's right where He wants you. Because of what He's doing in you. Because of what He wants to do through you. Because He's got something on the other side of that as we learn from the story of Joseph that we see here in a couple of weeks. It couldn't have been possible you not gone through where you are right now. So I encourage you, retain your integrity by remembering God's presence in the midst of difficult, unfair, unimaginable circumstances. That's how you transform where you are. That's how you avoid bitterness and vindictiveness. That's how you see what God is doing both in and through you. That's how you avoid playing the victim. That's how you can help others in spite of your pain. 
That's how God can use you. And that's how you can endure that refining process that God is taking you through to prepare you for whatever it is He has for you. But more importantly than that, to hone your character, to shape who you are, to make you more like Jesus. So retain your integrity by remembering His presence. This morning, you may be, as I mentioned earlier, right in the middle of it. And this for you is is just one more reminder of how awful your life is right now. Talk to God about it. You don't have to walk away here feeling as if everything is all over and life is really not unfair and difficult. This isn't about sticking your head in the sand. This is about going to the one who can help you. So talk to Him this morning. Take your unfair and your difficult life to Him. You have health problems that are unfair? You're facing a disease? You're facing some issues in your life that you wish weren't there? What about your work? You're dealing with some difficult and unfair circumstances there? How about your family? Maybe some of you have faced abuse in the past. Unfair, difficult, not your fault. What about money? You always feel as if God could do better by you? It's unfair. Why does this person have more and I don't? Why do we always struggle, God, and and that person seems to make it, and they're rotten and crooked, and I know that. Maybe at school, circumstances are unfair, and folks are not treating you the way they should. Maybe with friends, or at home, or maybe you face feelings of being abandoned that go way, way back, and it just seems to repeat itself over and over. Maybe you face, like Joseph did, false accusations. People say things about you that just aren't true because they don't like you. Maybe you feel as if you're doing what's right and you're being punished for it. Maybe you're hated, you're disliked for no reason. The warning label for life is that you will have suffering. It will be unfair and it will be difficult. The great news, though, is what Jesus said. We can be courageous. We can take heart, another version says, because He has conquered the world. You realize Jesus faced the most unfair and most difficult circumstances that any human has ever faced? A sinless human being willingly faced unfair and difficult circumstances on the cross for us, dying a death he never should have been forced to die. But dying a death that was the only way for us to receive redemption and salvation. The real cause of all that's unfair and difficult in life is sin. Your sin, my sin, everybody's sin, just sin. It's just the reason life is the way it is. But Jesus has conquered the world. He's given us freedom from sin. He's given us the grace to endure when life is difficult. And He endured the cross, Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that it would bring both to Him and to us to know Him and receive His salvation. Life is unfair and difficult at times. But if you retain your integrity by remembering God's presence, then I guarantee you that you'll see God do things in and through you that He could have never done had it not been for where you are. So this morning, I'd like for you to bow your head with me for just a second. And before we stand and close with a song, I want you to spend just a moment with the Lord, maybe relating to the story that we looked at this morning, the story of Joseph, and talk to Him. What are your unfair and difficult circumstances? What is it that you don't deserve that you're going through? Pour out your heart to Him for just a second. The Lord knows. He's there. He cares. He loves you. He created you. 
weights and drifts on you this week. Don't feel as if you can't be human before the Lord. Truth is, life is unfair. Life is difficult. Praise God that we have a Savior who has conquered the world. Who will help us retain our integrity. Who is always with us. Whose presence never leaves us. Who is refining us and making us the people He wants us to be even through those unfair and difficult circumstances. So receive His comfort this morning. Receive His encouragement. And for some this morning, you need to receive His free gift of salvation. The Bible says, apart from Jesus, there is no entrance into heaven. There is only punishment for sin. But with Jesus, grace sets us free. We are forgiven. Receive His forgiveness this morning by asking Him to come into your heart, placing your faith in Him. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your free gift of grace both for salvation and also for endurance in the midst of difficult and unfair circumstances. Lord, I pray for comfort and encouragement for those who right now are in the midst of just something awful that's confusing and frustrating and disheartening. Lord, may we remember your presence, that even in the little things, just like Joseph's life, you are you're shaping us, and you love us, and you care for us, and you are always with us. Lord, help us this morning to retain our integrity by remembering your presence. We pray in Jesus' name.